Welcome to the Everlasting Education Podcast, the best of education through a gentle contempt of education. Hello, folks. Scott and Joffrey here again, and uh, welcome, Joffrey. How's it going? I'm you know, glad to be back in the saddle. We took a couple of weeks off, and uh, fall classes are approaching. It's getting really close here, starting about uh, the tw- week of the 22nd, so we're just a couple weeks away. And that means we have a new series we're going to introduce that yes. we want to spend a few weeks talking about, and uh, love for you to introduce that. Yeah, so we're going to call it Odin and Mercury. This is going to be a series on the noble art and science of rhetoric. But uh, what we're doing is, but by calling it Odin and Mercury and focusing on what those gods were about, what they did, the role they fulfilled, we want to be able to approach as classical educators rhetoric from angles outside the box of our own experience. Mm, Interesting. I'm glad to hear that because when I think of Odin, I think of being only one-eyed and Mercury being very shifty. Uh, No, not really. So yeah, we'll be talking about rhetoric from a not so rhetorically or or formal rhetorical position. Yeah. So looking forward to doing that. There's, there's a lot that we can, um, we can think about. And I, I think one of the places that uh, naturally come to my mind is a quote that St. Augustine gave in the mm. city of God where he's talking about Cicero. And then he said that one of the things that Christians should strive to do uh, is to be wise and eloquent. And that is if Cicero, someone who is a noble pagan, but not a Christian can be wise and eloquent, how much more should Christians learn to be wise and eloquent in their, their speech that, that allows us to serve, to be able to influence for good, for truth, because we are the ones who do possess the truth. Yeah, you know, one of the the themes we'll be hitting repeatedly over the next few few weeks is influencing for the truth. But but let's start by you know with that quote. Let's start by talking about what wisdom and eloquence are. Like what what is wisdom? What is eloquence? Yeah, I think one, this is a very truncated definition, but one way to think of wisdom is knowing what to do in any situation rather than have some sort of formal prescription. And I've heard it said, you know, what would God do? Not not a WWJD kind of thing, <laughs> but, but how would, you know, how would God expect us to live? How would he expect us, given the truth, the knowledge, the, the gospel um, that we possess as Christians, what would be right, most just, most equitable to do in any given particular situation. Yeah, and and so the question of of, of how to live really is, the rubber meets the road, that's what makes it wisdom. Because, you know, we are all familiar with folks, we have been these folks ourselves, who uh, like to uh, beat people upside the head with the truth, (laughs) right? (laughs) And that's not persuasion didn't they used to call that bible thumping yeah, yeah absolutely <laughs> or cage stage calvinism cage, cage or, stage. Uh, there are all sorts of expressions of it uh well that would bring us then to the second part eloquence right and and eloquence isn't just speech that sounds good but it's speech that colors the language that that mm. provides some persuasive elements that's why we talk about logos ethos and pathos in rhetoric, not as means of sophistic uh, persuasion, you know, coercing somebody, but rather touching the emotional side, the logical side, and uh, recognizing from, you know, just a human side that you have to have credibility. People have to believe you and they, and they, 
the truth that we're sharing with them is real and we're being, you know, we have goodwill. We have, we're just in doing so. Yeah. You know, eloquence is, is not speaking impressively. It's speaking well, which right. means that it's speaking as is fitting as is appropriate. Right. Right. So who are you talking to? Yeah. That brings us to informal rhetoric. We talk about contingencies, right? Who is our, uh, our, our audience? What is our subject? What is our motivation? You know, so there's a lot of things we have to consider. And I always think of it as sort of which tool in the toolbox is best for the situation. So right. if, if I need a, a screwdriver, you know, smacking that screw with a hammer isn't really <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. And, and, and here, I think we, we hit the, the, the subject that we really wanted to talk about uh, in, in this episode, which is considering uh, your audience and not considering your audience in a utilitarian fashion, right? right? Like, so, you know, you, you examine your target and you decide what the best way to take him down <laughs> is right no uh, but rather assuming the burden ourselves as christians yeah I like right that. assuming the burden uh, to be the ones who, who who want to persuade beautifully right you know right. that's why we say persuade instead of uh, convince or win even right right Coerce. and then there are times you know hey you're having a debate get out there and win it you know, right. you know <laughs> get on the score sheet um but you know really when you when you're living your life and you're having conversations and you have relationships right what 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 is eloquence like well eloquence is going to be loving and it's going to be considerate that doesn't mean you hide the truth it doesn't mean that you prefer comfortable lies to, to hard truth right. but what it does mean is that you take the burden on yourself to convince the person not say hey i gave you the truth deal with it right and 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 that's that's where eloquence where when you're thinking about loving your neighbor not telling the truth is not loving your neighbor but telling your 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 neighbor the truth you have the right position but the wrong disposition is also not loving your neighbor so it it requires you know both sides yeah in fact i i would say that that is also not telling the truth yeah, right Scre <laughs> you know <laughs> screaming god is love is not a <laughs> particularly effective rhetorical tool i think paul said what speak the truth in love right yes. yeah that's that's it well and there's a there's an aspect of this where we want to persuade, but we're not trying to persuade, as you said, to win. And Aristotle brings up the idea that motivation for persuading somebody um, determines whether that's just persuasion or not, whether we are justified in trying to do that. So what are we trying to accomplish? Is it do we have some nefarious motivation for doing so? Or is it because we are trying to communicate what we are absolutely certain to be the, the revealed truth, you know, in a, in a Christian sense. I'm going to do like uh, a, a, a sports coach at a press conference and, yeah. and answer the question I want you to ask instead of the question you asked. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I want to focus on the word win, win. Uh, because, yeah. you know, there's, I think there, there will be some listeners who will, I mean, they will, they will question the attitude, right? So if you're, if you're having a conversation and a debate, if, if truth is that, is that issue, why don't you want to win? Like, you know, are, are we being mushy here? And so, you know, it, your, your words should require uh, no justification, and yet I will justify them. What we want to do is win people over. Mm, that's great. Right? And I'm going to avoid using the 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 you the word winsome <laughs> we're winning people over that doesn't you know because the word winsome gets loaded with compromise right? right we're gonna compromise and that's what winsome means no 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 
but you know, we can be uncompromising, but still loving, right? Yeah. When you win someone over, you know, you convert them, you transform them. Mm-hmm. That's what we want to do. We don't want to rack up notches on the belt. Right. Well, that becomes very Nietzschean if we do that. Right. right. So it, it becomes sort of a, in the culture wars, we see this a lot where it's more of a will to power versus really truly winning someone over to a different way of thinking about something because we care, because we know it's true, because, you know, we're, you know, emulating Christ in doing that. So I love that you said will to power because, uh, you have an amazing story about a lawyer <laughs> that you should you should share with our audience. Well, I will have to clean up the story a little bit <laughs> to, to, to tell the story. But yeah, so this um, this there was a situation where I first learned what a sophist was, and uh, I didn't know what the word meant. And as I was in my very early twenties, uh, so this had been very early, like 91, 92, something like that. And we, I won't get into the whole situation why we did it, but we, we bought a triplex and, uh, we were doing some flipping and remodeling houses and stuff. We bought a triplex, remodeled it, got tenants in it. And about two months or so in the tenant, came and said, Hey, we've got, uh, turned out to be termites, but these little piles of dirt, I keep sweeping them up and they keep reappearing. So I went over and checked it out and turned out sure enough termites. So, uh, got underneath the house, did all the inspection and turned out sure enough, we had already, we had hired an inspector. We'd gone through everything like we should have. And there were termites. Well, it turns out we got our hands on the paperwork of somebody else who were going to buy it before us. And he had disclosed in the original disclosure that there had been termites mm. in our paperwork. There was no disclosure. He had, he had removed it and actually denied that there had been, which is illegal to do. So anyway, I contacted this attorney, his uh, office is on like the 13th floor of this big high rise building. The only other offices on the floor are like DEA, FBI, you know, all these government, you know, uh, law enforcement agencies. And so we went in this big office, the guy's kind of disheveled, uh, beautiful office, large. Um, he kind of looks like Albert Einstein with his hair all messed up. And Giving off the genius lawyer vibe. Yeah, he, he totally had it, laying back sort of in this kind of lean back chair. So I told him the story. I handed him the paperwork. He looked over it, and he got really excited and set up from his lean back position. And he's like, we will take him for everything he's worth. You know, just, you know, just matter of fact. So I I want to back up and mention that at this time, I was also an associate pastor. And so I said, well, what if I don't really want to take him for everything he's worth? What if I just want to rectify this situation? And he just gave me this glare and leaned over his desk and he said, you know what your problem is? You're a P person. <laughs> <laughs> what a turn of phrase. I was like, a P- Please tell us quickly what that means. <laughs> what is a P person? I'm a postman. No, he's a, you're a P person. He said, anybody who has a P in their title, their job title. And, and this is really what he said. You know, he said, pastors, priests, policemen, postal workers, prostitutes. <laughs> he said, you're all in the public service business. So he linked us there. And, and th- these were his words. He said, I don't care what the law says, or I don't care what morality says. There are 6 billion people on the planet. Everybody has a different set of morals. I care what the law says and the way I can win. He said, I am a legal hitman. I'm an, a financial assassin. And he said, I'm telling you, I would sue my own grandmother if the retainer was big enough. I don't care. So either you retain me and we win, um, or I'm not really interested in your case. 
That was his. That was his answer. So That's I walked like straight out of a movie. Oh, it was. I I walked out of there with my head spinning, thinking, I don't know what I just walked into, but I never want this guy on the other side. Later, just a couple months later, he had won some big, you know, multi million dollar lawsuit of some lady that got passed up in a you know job promotion or whatever huh. for discrimination. So he was kind of a you know on the news sort of famous lawyer in the city where we were living wow. at the time. It was pretty incredible. But I learned what a sophist was. It's winning, not caring about necessarily what's actually honest or virtuous. Yeah. Don't be the Spokane Einstein lawyer. No, <laughs> Spokane Einstein. Well, but let's actually, let's talk about your, re- your reaction, yeah. right? So you wanted simply to rectify the situation. Yeah. You, you didn't want to take him for everything he was worth. Why? Because you, you had truth on your side. Yeah. Well, I, I had contacted the man before I even contacted a lawyer. And, and that's what prompted me to the lawyer because they said, look, here, I have both pieces of paper. And, and did you know about it? And he said, I'm not answering your question. You'll just have to take me to court. Mm. And so he was asking for it. <laughs> and you was. still didn't take him to the cleaners. I, I, I didn't. Um, and. I, the the reason for it is is I didn't feel like you know it, this wasn't about taking him for everything he's worth because that just would not have been just that's not that wasn't our motivation our motivation wasn't to ruin somebody's life um, we wanted him to rectify the situation he was dishonest in the transaction and he you know he had a responsibility to make that right and that's really what we were seeking to have done and we had to go about it a different way but um, I didn't have the money to retain this other lawyer and I wasn't really wanting to get on a train that was you know going to tear somebody's life apart. That really wasn't the goal. Right. And you know, it's, it's interesting, I think to note how the law would have been on your side and could have been manipulated so that you actually took all of this guy's money and were beyond justice. Yeah. Right. And so really, you know, this is, so truth, truth would not have been on your side if you had gone as far as the, that lawyer wanted. Right. And I think that's, that's the key to understanding, you know, while the world or the, you know, the law may have allowed for me to take more than, you know, what in God's eyes was just as a Christian, we understand that Christianity is a revelation of who Christ is, right? He, I mean, Christ is Lord, whether or not we recognize it or not, but Christ is Lord. And so when we tried to live according to that, then we want to follow what would be, you know, what Christ would want us to do, right? That that would right. be the goal versus what the law allows us to do. Well, you know, I, I, th- that story is a wonderful illustration of, of the negative side, yeah. right? Like, so what, what not to be, how not to be, but how should we then live? (laughs) (laughs) So so now we ask ourselves, well, you know, in that particular situation, you had the wisdom to know what the biblical godly response uh, was, Uh, but you also, you know, it turned out not to really be a a, a rhetorical moment, right? Right. Uh, Certainly not with, with the, the the man who had sold you the building. Right. So, but, but then you, you, you've spent your life having rhetorical moments. So how do we act with truth, beauty, and goodness rhetorically to win people over, to take on the responsibility ourselves uh, of, of, of leading people and winning people over? 
Well, I think there are really two focuses where, or two places where we need to focus. And the first is being wise, right? The first is developing uh, the, the, the wisdom that comes with being mature, being a full human being. And I think obviously that starts with the gospel and, and, and responding to what Christ has done. And then we develop liberal education. All of that plays into becoming the wisest person we can possibly be, striving for that at all times. And, and that means this is where legalism and wisdom are a lot different because legalism sets up a whole bunch of rules for you to do. Mm. And then they don't apply to all the different nuanced situations. And right. People don't know, how do I do this? And then you become weird and, you know. <laughs> then you let the lawyer convince you that, in fact, you yeah. should. Yeah. Exactly. So having wisdom is the ability to kind of navigate the nuances. And then the second part is to develop that toolbox, what we officially call rhetoric, um, you know, in and it's okay to call it rhetoric, but I think it's so much more than that. When we kind of formalize it, we're almost making our speech legalized, right? We're kind of, right. you know, or, or um, you know, it becomes legalistic in our speech. Well, these are the canons of rhetoric, but but really those are just ways of understanding. This is a screwdriver. This is a hammer. This is a wrench. And there's all kinds of wrenches and all kinds of hammers and all kinds of screwdrivers. And there's different weights. There's different lengths, you know, all the, the, the nuances that come in the tools. So as we become familiar by practicing applying the wisdom uh, to those to that toolbox um, and getting to know our tools well, we become better at it. But it takes practice. Yes. And, you know, becoming familiar with these tools requires attentiveness. Mm-hmm. Right? Because, you know, it, it, is, it is easy enough to read manuals or even watch right. YouTube videos. It's easy enough to have your dad tell you how to use these tools. But the the real way to learn is to watch your dad, your boss, your supervisor do it themselves, hear their stories, and then you do it yourself and you notice, hey, you know, there this tends to happen, that tends to happen. Um, you know, I should I should be more careful with this or that. Um, and and you you actually start to get a feel right, right for the the art and science of it. I think that word feel is very important. Um, and since we're using the, the tool metaphor and, you know, I think of construction where I, I grew up, uh, my dad built houses on the side. He was a, a plant manager and then also a, uh, built houses on the side. And it's one thing to learn how to frame a house, for example, like, okay, I know how to, you know, measure out and frame a wall, um, you know, put your boards on center and whatever code has for that particular wall. But then as you begin to do it, you begin to see, oh, had I done it this, you know, had I taken this little um, step prior, then when I got to this step, it would have gone much easier. But you can never figure those things out until you're actually doing it. And and then pretty soon that becomes sort of natural where uh, just knowing the tools, like you said, from reading a manual, you can get the job done, but it's a little more clumsy and it's not quite as effective where someone who's been doing it for a while, you know, can throw up the walls and put it together. It's quality and there's finesse to it. And the young are partic- particularly susceptible to being blind to, to what you're talking about uh, because, you know, they know how it ought to be, how it is mm-hmm. in the book, how it is in practice uh, and practices and drills. Right. Um, but when, when they get onto the real world, uh, what often happens is they try to force it. Right. right? And, and I actually uh, also const- construction also taught me to work mm-hmm. uh, and it, it didn't teach me to work in the sense that 
it it taught me to carry long things for a long time or anything like that. What I mean is, so I, I started doing some construction moonlighting in, in my thirties. Mm-hmm. Right, so I'm I'm not really young anymore, but I still had this idea in my head that working for this friend of mine in uh, concrete foundations uh, had to teach me. So we're working on building this wall and we're using lasers and all sorts of measuring devices and the math is perfect. There we are down in the dirt, you know, getting ready to pour this foundation and the panels aren't fitting. (laughs) Things aren't fitting and they should. The math is absolutely correct. And uh, my friend who had, you know, grown up in construction his whole life, it's his company. Uh, he was, you know, just a, a grinder. We sat there in the cold rain and snow hammering at this thing for what felt like hours. I know it wasn't, but it felt like forever. The entire time I was convinced that this was dumb because the math was right. <laughs> and lo and behold eventually it it worked out like he beat the thing into submission and i think often <laughs> of that moment because it it really illustrated for me that it, my my previous mode of thinking had been if there's not an elegant solution there is no solution. Mm. Is that a confusion between elegance and eloquence? <laughs> <laughs> Not in this case, but you know, I, I really had the, had the, you know, Hey, look, the, the platonic math is absolutely correct. <laughs> <laughs> and then I got into the, into the dirt of creation and realized, you know what? Sometimes just hitting the thing over and over again is, is the right solution. And by that, I don't mean to say be stubborn. What I mean is the world is not just equations. The world is not just sound waves. Uh, So when we are dealing with the problem of other people and communicating problematically with other people, we need wisdom, we need love. What we don't need is what our logic and our rhetoric textbooks taught us if we cannot translate them mm-hmm. to wisdom and love. Right. Yeah. And yeah, so this isn't a, le- a lesson in <laughs> if they don't agree right away, beat it. <laughs> right. No, but there is a, there's a persistence. There's, there's a recognition that, that a, a, a persistence and a, con- a continual improvement, right? A, right? a continual striving toward. And other walls hadn't been like that sure. for the record. Right. <laughs> Uh, well, that's that's the the irony of uh, of construction and and a lot of things that uh, sometimes it should work a certain way, but it, it doesn't always, and and so we have to to recognize that having that hard, fast, almost legalistic approach to things sometimes doesn't work. It takes a little bit more, you know, grinding it out, a little more persistence, a little more, you know, work, uh, in getting the job done. Right, and we're not going to resent it because we're doing it out of love for yeah, the person. Right? right, we're not trying to beat the person. Uh, we are trying to persuade. Well, and I, I think, you know, just to circle back, we talked about this a little bit already, but I, I think it's a really good point to emphasize that, you know, this love aspect that you're talking about requires patience on our part because sometimes people aren't going to get it. Sometimes they're willfully ignorant. Sometimes they are just, they don't see it. They can't see it. And it's so it, it takes some time to work with people and love them and, yes. and, and do the carry the burden ourselves of, of helping them to see that truth. 
right and, and not fall into that Nietzschean perspective exactly yeah. right and we're not we're not necessarily in in competition with them right, right? Yeah. and so you know we, we want to speak in a way uh, that is effective for them not force them to come to us and you know we're going to do a whole episode on on tone yeah, on, the, no. on the tone of, uh, of our speech on the tone of our rhetoric and by tone we do, we don't mean you know is your tone nasty or nice only right, right? Uh, but but we mean you know the entire uh, approach can be described in terms of tone well I think there's a lot that we're going to be able to unpack and look forward to it again and uh, so we're we're titling this series again Odin and Mercury and um, give us as we close out uh, the connection between oh, yeah. uh, because this was something you know as somebody who knows and and interacts with the you know the mythological gods of the Greeks and the Romans and the Norse um, I was surprised to discover uh, as we we're talking about it the relationship between these two because i always thought of odin as being equivalent to zeus or to jupiter right because they're the the chief gods yeah, of the right. pantheons right yeah so this was actually on my mind this this connection uh because i'm i'm working on uh, my spanish classes for the upcoming year and one of the things i always do with my students when we're learning the days of the week is the connections between uh between the names of the days of the week particularly when it comes to the gods so in english uh, our our name our day names are named after the Norse gods and in in Spanish after the Roman gods. Mm. And you know, so I tell my students, you know, there are little anchors that you can grab onto that are easier to remember. For example, Moon Day, and then Lunes is Monday. Luna means moon, and so you know, there's the first connection. And then, but then you start going through the gods, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, Tuesday is named after Tur. Uh, Wednesday is named after Odin or Woden, Thursday after Thor, and so on. And so, hey, here's an easy connection. Thor is the god of lightning and thunder. And Jove, for Huevis, right, is the is a god of lightning and thunder. And students often are like, but they're not the, you know, yeah. like, like Thor's not the big boss <laughs> of the gods and and jove is but it really it's about what these gods do and the and wednesday so odin is is a god who sacrificed in order to gain wisdom and knowledge and he is known for speaking and prophesying hmm. mercury is a god of words messages poetry and so they're both about communication and speech Interesting. Which yeah. I, I, so the, the connecting the gods through what they do, as opposed to maybe their position in the hierarchy, um, you know, is, is a great way to remember these uh, these uh, these names of the days of the week. But because of that, you know, that was on my mind, just thinking about both of these rhetorical gods. And fascinating that it comes out of a language class. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, know that you know manifests that way. Uh, so we're looking forward to spending some time with you these next few weeks. So hope you'll turn tune in. And um, if you have not already registered for uh, Kepler classes, start the week of August twenty second. Very soon. So long, everybody. God bless.